Okay, you can be seated. Welcome again to East Bay Calvary Church. And my name is Brian Conover, and uh, this is an official service, I guess, where uh, my wife and myself and my family are formally a part of this church family, and we've been looking forward to this. I tell you, I have a friend of mine that I want to introduce to you who's going to be speaking this morning, and of all the people, truly, and I mean this, of all the people I would ever want to be here today and to speak at this special service, it would be Ken Rudolph. And Ken and I go back almost 30 years ago when we were both in the church nursery together. <laughs> uh, actually at Baptist Bible College and Seminary. And Ken uh, was a welcome presence on campus he was a friendly face for students. He recruited young people to come to the college, and I was a part of that recruitment effort. And every time this guy spoke, he nailed it. He absolutely nailed it. And it's because it wasn't merely a textual thing. He took the text, and it came right from in here. It's just a part of his life. And uh, there's a few different things that we've heard about Ken recently. One, that he looks a little like Mr. Bean I heard that they're going to be doing some kind of coffee thing at Lake Ann and uh, with Mr. Bean and it's going to have his face on it or something like that. Well, let me tell you, in the Christian life, though, this guy, is, is he's not coffee. He's a double shot of espresso right to our souls. And I'm so excited that he's able to do that. The last thing that I want to mention about Ken, and then he's going to come up and share. There are few people in their mid-60s who are so relevant that they can reach the next generation. And God has put this in this man's soul. His whole life has been to reach young people with the gospel of Jesus Christ and to encourage them to serve him. And, and I'm telling you, that is a gift. And it's a mission. It's a great mission even for us because one day we won't be here and guess who will be the young people that we reach? It needs to be part of our flesh and blood and our passion. So with me, would you please welcome our speaker for today, my buddy Ken. Oh, thank you so much, Brian. It's, uh, wow, when I... Uh, First got some calls from uh, your search committee. They're like, what do you know about this Brian Conover guy? And I was like, oh, you don't want to know. <laughs> yes, uh, well, one of the things I saw him when he was a student at Bible College, and uh, one of the things I said is that he comes from a great family, and uh, his brother and sister both came to uh, Baptist Bible College back then, and, and I saw, and Brian, you were the youngest of those, right? So... He was kind of the baby of the family, so we were in the nursery with him. And uh, but it's great to be here at East Bay Calvary. And uh, this is my thirtieth year, my thirtieth summer of speaking at Lake Ann Camp. And uh, so I first started coming to Lake Ann Camp uh, back in 1988. And uh, I had just gotten to Baptist Bible College, and I was a student recruiter. And so I've had a history of coming up here to uh, northern Michigan, up north, and uh, 
just always loving it up here and great memories from, I uh, used to come just for one week at Lake Ann. Then after 13 years at the Bible College, I uh, ended up uh, being full-time at Lake Ann. And then I was there for 10 years and then God called me into mission. So my wife and I, we get to now to go over to Europe. We do most of our work uh, in missions in Europe. And uh, we, we do camps over there. We also help with church planning. My youngest son is a pastor over there now in Germany. So anyways, we, we love what we do. We always love uh, being up north here with you guys. And I want to say East Bay Calvary's always had a tremendous reputation for a, a church that loves the Lord. And uh, we hope you'll continue that. And with your new pastor, go on to greater heights. Amen? Yeah, we want to do great things for God. And uh, t t this morning, I want to invite you to turn to Romans chapter 5, if you would. If you would ask me, what passage of Scripture has influenced your life more than any other passage, I would have to say, probably in my life, it's Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. And uh, a lot of that is because there's so much great doctrine in here, but there's so much... And doctrine is supposed to always be very applicable to our lives. We should be using it, amen? And so, as I looked at Romans chapter 5, I, I got to tell you that one of the things that it really did, one of the probably the greatest impacts it had on my life was teaching me how to be a happy Christian. All right? Did you hear what I said? Now, it actually, I, I was a pastor but I was always a very depressed pastor. In fact, I, I grew up my whole life kind of being depressed. I, I grew up on a farm. That's where it started, you know. When eight years old, you know, my, my dad's like, well, you're old enough now to drive a tractor. Eight years old, I'm on one of these tractors, you know, driving. <laughs> and, and I never did anything right. But, and then we had cows, of course, and they're the dumbest creature on the face of the earth. And and I had to get up every morning, you know. We lived in western New York, the snow belt. And uh, so I'm used to snow too, like you folks. And uh, get up every morning, feed the cows. And, you know, and I'd be like, oh, I got to get up. It's cold outside. And I got to feed cows before uh, school. And then I'd come home from school. And my mother, I can still hear my mother go out and feed your cows. You know, I'm like, oh, and, then I'd come in the house, now do your homework, oh, homework, you know, and, and then, you know, after homework, go to bed, like, why, to do the same stupid thing over every day. <laughs> then I went to college, you know, and, and uh, they taught me not how to feed cows, but how to feed sheep, you know, and so then I became a pastor, and I'm like, oh, I got to feed the sheep, you know, <laughs> I got to get a sermon ready, and uh, then I'd read the Bible, husbands love your wife, oh, I gotta love my wife, you know, and these brats, you know, these kids, I gotta raise my kids and be a good father, and I'll tell you, I, I was, everything was a burden, and a, you know, and, and you know, a lot of you live like that, and Americans, I'll tell you, we are the greatest complainers of any country, I think, on the face of the earth, because we have so much, but we want more, and uh, I, you know, and, and so sometimes we, we never get that purged or sanctified out of our system even when we become Christians. You see, I was saved at the age of 15 at camp. That's why I have such a love for camp. I was saved at camp. 
15 years old, but I'll tell you what, I did not get rid of my grumpiness and my, my, my lack of rejoicing until I was 35 years old in the pastorate. And so, anyways, I want to share with you this morning, if you're taking notes, I want to talk about three instances in which we rejoice to create a heroic church. Three instances in which we rejoice to create a heroic church. As we think about installing your new pastor here, uh, again, sometimes we as Americans, all we talk about is, I want to be happy, I want to be happy, I want to be happy, I'm not happy. You, I tell you, I watch television and they got so many drugs about, hey, are you, are you dealing with depression? You know, then we got all the stuff for you to make you happy. And yet, then they say, now, if you take this drug and you feel like committing suicide, stop taking it. I'm like, oh, this really works well, you know. Can I say that I, I'm talking about a, a, an heroic church rather than a happy church. Three instances in which we rejoice to create a heroic church. You see, a lot of times we're looking for the happy ending rather than the heroic ending. You, you watch movies, and a lot of times they, they just, they're all about a happy ending. And usually they don't take you beyond the, you know, like the two, you know, they, they, they're seeking for love, and they find each other, and the music crescendos at the end, and they walk off into the sunset. They never talk about the marriage. It's just the beginning. And, then, and so it's like, oh, once we're together, we're happy. And then they end up getting a divorce a couple of years later because, you know, I'm not happy anymore because I had, I, I, I had to learn to live with this person and we don't do it. And the same thing is true in a church. You might have been, oh, it was so much fun finding Pastor Brian. Oh, he's so cool. Man, oh, and then a couple of years later, I wish he was gone. <laughs> Where's the divorce, you know? We found out what he's really like, that he has problems, that he's not perfect. And believe me, he's not a perfect pastor, but he's the one God led you to. Amen? So we need to look at what the scriptures say, how to be Christians that walk in a heroic ending, that you might be a heroic church, not just looking for, you know, a pastor that's going to tickle you every you know, tickle your fancy every Sunday you come, like, oh, that was nice, you know, bye, we'll see you later. No, we're in this together, amen? And so we want a heroic church. So anyways, what I like about Romans 5 is it really teaches you to rejoice. There's three instances in this, just these first 11 verses where it tells us to rejoice. So let's look at the first one. What's our first instance in which we rejoice to create a heroic church? Let's look at verses 1 and 2. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Number one, here's the first instance. Number one, rejoice every day. Rejoice every day in the glorious gospel. Rejoice every day in the glorious gospel. Man, when I got saved at the age of 15, what a glorious message. The good news. 
Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know what that meant to me? You see, I grew up in a church where they were taught, you got to join the church. And now all the 12-year-olds are ran through a system where you could join the church. Boy, you, you better take communion. You know, that'll kind of purify you. I remember my, my mother said, you know, I was like, man, I'd love to have a snack in the middle of church, you know. And, and my mom's like, well, you can't take it unless you understand it. And she says, but once you understand I said, it's to wash away your sins. She goes, okay, you can take communion. So I had the idea it was works. Man, I'll tell you what. Our farm, we did not bale hay on Sunday. And I thought, I'm probably going to heaven because we don't bale hay on Sunday. And that wicked neighbor down the road, as we went to church, he's out there baling hay, and oh, we'd, be, oh, we'd shake our heads. Look at that guy. And he had a cigar in his mouth, too. I was sure he was going to hell, you know. But the Rudolphs, we went to church, we took communion, we joined the church. I remember when I joined church, my parents gave me a Bible with my name on it, a gold embossed, you know, and, and had a, a zipper on it with a gold chain. I'm like, man, when I get to heaven, God's like, why should I let you into heaven? Like, Bible, name, zipper, gold cross. And God's like, oh, come in, you know. Well, when I started to realize my works weren't going too well, I was like, man, I, I'd go out and work with those cows, and they were very frustrating. I'd be swearing at them, just swearing and swearing, swearing, and, you know, not in front of my mother or my dad, but, boy, I hated those cows, and I would swear and swear, and I'm like, after a while, I'd be like, God, what? I wonder if the Bible's going to do the trick when I get to heaven. Like, Bible? Nope, too much swearing. Oh, boy. And uh, pornography, man, I was getting into that as a teenager, and I'm like, oh, God, what am I going to say to God? Is membership enough? Is communion enough? Is not bailing hay on Sunday enough? Is, you know, what are my works that are going to give? And I'm worried, I'm worried, I'm frustrated. Like, you know, I don't know how this first meeting's going to be when I die and go to heaven and I meet God. And then somebody preached to me about justification, which means to have your sin account wiped clean. If I can just make it sound as simple as possible for you. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God. I went to camp, and the preacher got up there and said, I'll bet you some of you kids swear, and your parents don't know about it. I'm like, how does he know? <laughs> he mentioned all my sins. I'm like, yes, yes. And he said, you cannot, you know, for all of sin to come short of the glory of God. He preached the gospel, and I'm like, I've come short of the glory of God. I know I'm going to hell. But he said, wait a minute, you don't have to go to hell. He said, Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins. And you can have it by faith. Stop putting, this is what I realized in my head sitting there in that camp, that I cannot work my way to heaven. One of the things we're told in Romans 3.20, if we had time we could turn there, but we don't, it says, for by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. And so the preacher pointed out, it's not your works. I'm like, man, that's what I've been taught my whole life. And so all of a sudden I'm realizing it's not by works, but it says uh, down here in verse 9, it says, since we are justified by his blood. And the preacher explained how the blood of Christ was that which would wash away my sin, not my works, but his blood, amen? 
up in chapter 4, it talks about that he was raised for our justification. You see, when Jesus died on the cross, he defeated death and sin. And so he rose from the dead to give us justification. And then it says there in very, so plainly in verse 1, that therefore being justified by faith. And so I realize, if I put my faith in Christ and not myself and my works... You see, that night I transferred my faith off of myself onto Christ, and I was justified. Man, I'll tell you what, when I walked forward, and back in those days they made you walk forward in front of everybody. They confessed your sins, and so I walked forward, and man, I just cried my eyes out. I'm like, man, my sin is gone. My sin is gone. My sin is gone. My sin is gone. I'm clean. My record's clean. There's nothing there, and I'm justified. And uh, my record is clean. I'm free. And woo! Amen. I tell you, I was I, God had won my heart from the very first moment. I was rejoicing in the hope of the glory of God. Amen. It says, by this faith also I have access by the same faith in Christ to stand by grace. Can I tell you what? Not only did I have uh, grace to save me, but when I went home, I remember that every day I'd wake up and I'd have to go out and feed those cows. And, uh, but there was a little, you know, it was a little bit different, you know. I, I went out and I had this peace in my heart. I'm, I'm going to heaven. I'm going to heaven. I've been justified. And I remember walking out there to the barn and I walked past the cow and I don't know if I spooked this cow or something. This cow kicked me and I was just like, God bless you, you know. <laughs> and I... I was the most shocked. I'm like, I didn't beat this cow and swear at it. There was peace. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God. I'm at peace with God. Amen? Man, if that doesn't frost your flakes, there's something wrong. Man, are we rejoicing every day. Every day rejoice in our glorious gospel. Man, I, I, you know, this is something that we should be a, a, a testimony to in the world. If we're going to be a heroic church, we need to be people that are on fire with the gospel of Jesus Christ, that it, that it lifts up our hearts every day. It says, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. You see, maybe the swearing stopped right away, but there are other sins in my, my life that I'm still working on. Amen? Okay? But I, I have hope, though. I rejoice in this hope that someday I'm going to overcome these things. I, you see, it's not just the things that God has conquered. I have peace for my past. I have grace to stand every day. But I also, there's a future in which I hope, I rejoice and hope every day. It's going to get better and better and better. Amen? Do you have hope that you're going to whip the sins in your life, the addictions in your life? Listen, there are people all around Traverse City and the surrounding areas that have no hope of ever whipping their depression, their, their addictions, their sorrow, their, their despair. And I'll tell you, some of them, they're lost in their sin, and we need to be the people that have hope that our gospel is the answer. Amen? And when you carry that, when you live that, then that changes everything. There's also not just the, the hope of, of God's glory in our life, of of what we call glorification, where we overcome our sin in this life. But what about the life to come? Man, that's another thing I really glory in. Amen? 
I rejoice in this that someday I'm going home to heaven. Now here's where a lot of you look, you're staring at me like, yep, yep, you know, God gotta leave Traverse City someday, you know. The beautiful resort area. And we'll just go die and they'll hand me a harp and I'll sit on a cloud and strum a harp for the rest of my life, you know. And when we've been there ten thousand years, bright shining as a sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when he first begun. You're like, whoa. You know. Hey, what's heaven really going to be like? Listen, I, if I read my Bible, there's a new Jerusalem, a city, a mountain of God in which he goes to prepare a place for me. Amen? And I'll tell you, this thing is 1,400 miles wide, 1,400 miles long, and 1,400 miles high. This is a huge mountain in which billions of believers are going to live on. And, and I, I don't think we're going to sit in, in a kind of a worship service the rest of our life. I think there will be a sense of community and, and, and just knowing people. You know, some people are like, do you think we'll know others when we're up there? Wait, we're all going to be cloned? You know, we get up there and like, who are you? I don't, I don't remember your faith. No, we're, we're going to be who we are. We're going to know each other. And not only is there new Jerusalem, new bodies, but a new earth. God's going to take this earth and burn the curse out of it and turn it into a paradise. So we'll have our city home and our country home. Amen? You're like, I never thought about that. Yeah, you're just like, I just want a, I just want a, a house on Long Lake, you know. And if I could just have a summer home in Long Lake or, or a permanent home in Long Lake, you know. And listen, God's going to give it to you someday if you don't get it here. So we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God even in heaven someday. Amen? We have peace from our past, peace of God, grace to stand today, and hope for tomorrow. Man, we need to rejoice in the glorious gospel that has turned our lives upside down and given us something to live for. Are you with me? Amen? That's how we're going to have a heroic church, and we have people like that coming every day, still excited about their salvation. Well, there's a second instance in which we rejoice to create a heroic church. Let's read verses 3 through 5. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character. Character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Number two, we need to rejoice every day in our grinding sufferings. Number two, we need to rejoice every day in our grinding sufferings. You see, after I got saved, this is the part that just really I never clicked with. You know, hey, it's one thing to have a position that we, we, we rejoice in every day, our, our, our salvation, that, that glorious gospel. But what about, you know, some of you are like, yeah, yeah, you Christians, you're all pie in the sky, you know. You know, what about today? What about my miserable things I live with every day? God's like, well, guess what? Not only that, and more than that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. I want to challenge you this morning. Do you do that? Or are you just a complainer? Every time suffering comes in your life, like that, that's what I was. Man, I'll tell you if, you, if you ever met the Rudolph family, we are a long history of complainers. 
And we're just, nothing's right. And I married my, my wife. I got this sweet, sweet, precious wife, this beautiful personality. And she married me, and I'm like, rah, rah, rah. She's like, well, it'll be okay. I became a pastor, man, on stupid people, you know. Church would be great if it wasn't for people, you know. And one day I read this as a pastor. I got up one morning, I'm reading, have my devotions, and, it's, and I ran into this passage. And not only that, but more than that, we rejoice in our sufferings. And the Holy Spirit hit me. You do not do that. You always complain. Oh, well, you get, get up in front to preach, and you're all like, hey, good morning, how are you? you know? But in your real life, you're just an incessant complainer. And I said, God, you're right. And I was like, but that just doesn't seem normal. <laughs> you know, shouldn't we complain in our sufferings? God's like, no, I give you permission to rejoice in your sufferings. In fact, I command you, rejoice, <clears throat> rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Amen? I'm like, oh, I don't know. Let's try it. Anyways, I told God that day, I'm going to try it. I went and got my car, and I had one of these cars that were very hard to start because the choke was messed up in it. So you had to start it, throw in reverse, hit the gas before it stalled out. You ever had, you're know, like, oh, that's my car, you know. <laughs> so I went out in my garage, got my car, and vroom, 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 you know, and all of a sudden I hear this crash and this bang, and the back window of my van just smashed and, you know, was shattering on, ricocheting all over the inside of the car, ping, 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 like, and I turned around, I drove through my garage door. I forgot to put the garage door up. And my sitting there, my garage door's in a big V. My windows are gone. And I just uh, turned it off. I'm like, oh, Lord, what in the... <laughs> Ken, what, is it, what did we talk about this morning? Yeah, but this is real. This is not how we live our Christian life sometimes as a church. We come to Sunday school and we open up our Bibles. What's verse 3 mean to you in Romans 5? Like, rejoice in your suffering. Well, I think it means that when bad things happen, we should rejoice. Okay, close your Bibles, go home, and keep being complainers. Are we going to live it? Are we going to be a heroic church? Man, I'm back through that garage door. I sat there defeated, and then God's like, come on. I was like, okay, I'll try it. I drove through my garage door, popped out my back window, and I have no money. Woo! Oh, I got the church. I, I got the door up, got the car out, called the tow truck. I'm, I'm not going to drive this car anywhere with the windows gone. And So anyways, I walked. I was close enough to walk and got to church. And man, I'm practicing, rejoicing my sufferings. I walked into church whistling, you know, and... My secretary says, well, you're happy today. What happened to you? I said, I drove through my garage door. I said, extra bonus, popped out the back window, and I have no money. She looked at me. She says, are you okay? I said, Romans 5.3. She got out her Bible, looked it up. She goes, that's an interesting theory, you know? Isn't that where we live? Theory? Oh, that was a nice message, but I'm not going to start rejoicing my suffering. 
No, listen, you rejoice in your sufferings. Why? Because God is doing something in our lives. Amen? He's like, you're, you're a bunch of weaklings. You want to build a church? You want to reach Traverse City for Jesus Christ? Yeah. Well, then we're going to go through some training, perseverance. Man, how do we get guys ready for the Army or the Marines? Well, guys, just lay around, and if a war breaks out, we'll pass out rifles, and, you know, we'll go get the bad guys. No. There's some suffering, amen? And we make them suffer over it. Why? But it's good suffering because they get perseverance. They learn not to quit. And one thing you've got to learn to do if you're going to be a heroic church is not to quit because suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character. Character, hope, which will not disappoint you if it's hope in God because the Holy Spirit's given unto us in which he pours out the love of God in our hearts. Oh, we like that part. I like that part. You know, we sang the open up the heavens and pour it out. God's like, all right, suffering. That's how you get there. Are you ready to rejoice in those grinding sufferings? Oh, one of my favorite pictures in the Bible is David when he shows up to fight Goliath. You know, we always just talk about the killing the giant. But Saul, King Saul says, why should I let you go out and kill the giant? He goes, oh, he said, I kept my father's sheep suffering. Okay, pretty bad job. He said, and then the lion came. And grabbed the lamb in the flock and was carrying it away. And I prayed, dear God, make him drop it. And he didn't. And so I had to go out and fight this lion. And he says, I, he rose up against me and I grabbed him by his beard and I smote him and slew him. I slew both the lion and the bear. You see, God said, I'm going to put some of suffering into your life. Lions. Oh, Oh, good, I killed him. God's like, I'll see if you do it again. So he sends a, a bear. He had to kill a bear. So he, you know, what is suffering produces perseverance, and perseverance what? Character. So he shows up with character one day, and he, and he sees the giant. He says, I'll go kill him. And then he says, well, why can you kill him? Oh, I kill big things for a living. Amen. Lions, bears, giants, oh my, you know. <laughs> He's like, I'm ready. Why do you think suffering comes into your life? Because God says, I want you to have a hope. I want you to rejoice in those sufferings because you know I'm doing something wonderful in your life to be strong, have character, and hope. And he says here, it's a hope that won't disappoint you. Listen, some of you live on silly hope. Like maybe Michigan will beat Ohio State this year. You know Oh, we got Harbaugh. Got Harbaugh. You know. You come you come to church with that anticipation that maybe we'll win Traverse City to Jesus. Because it's God. He's, he's preparing us to be a heroic church. No, we come and give me a little sermon. Come out, Pastor. I dare you. We go home and our hope is all in Michigan. And they lose again. It disappoints you. Or you're some of you ladies like, oh yeah, you men, you're you know, stuck with that stupid stuff. Well, hey, you've got some stupid hopes too sometimes. 
Like, if I get married, I'll be happy. And then you get married. And you're like, oh, I'm married to Bozo, you know. And I thought that was going to bring me happiness, but it was a hope that disappointed you. Now, that's why we need to rejoice in our suffering, because we work through those things. Amen? My wife and I have been married 44 years. It's been tough, but for the glory of God, we rejoice and we work through it. And I'll tell you what, and hope will not disappoint us because the love of God is poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit who has been given unto us. That is how you get there through suffering. Can you learn to rejoice? I'll tell you what, I had to learn to do that. I became a happy pastor. You better learn. When those challenges come, woohoo! I know God's doing something to bring me to sense his love and to have true hope. Well, so we number one, we need to rejoice every day in our glorious gospel. Number two, rejoice every day in our grinding sufferings. Number three, let's go on here. Verse six. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. You might want to circle weak and ungodly. For one scarcely... Uh, for one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare to die. But God shows his love uh, for us, and while we were still sinners, you might want to circle sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God? For if while we were enemies, you might want to circle enemies, and we are reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. Verse 11, more than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Number three, the third instance in which we need to rejoice to create a heroic church. And number three, rejoice every day in our gracious God. Rejoice every day in our gracious God. Oh, yes, we have a great salvation. Amen? Yes, we have challenges every day in which we need to rejoice, and God is working and doing something. But I'll tell you what, it won't work at all unless we have our eyes fixed on our gracious God. We rejoice in our God by whom we have received this reconciliation. Now, that word reconciliation, don't let that word scare you. It just means peace peace treaty. We're reconciled. We're at peace with God. Amen. Jesus Christ took all the wrath of God on the cross for my sin, and now we're at peace. Excuse me. It mentions four things here. When we are weak, when we are ungodly, when we were sinners, and when we were enemies, he came and invaded our lives. Amen. I'll tell you what. I went to camp. When I went to camp at the age of 15, I went to go have a good time with my friend. My friend invited me. He was a Christian. He thought I was a Christian. He said, you want to go to camp with me? I'm like, man, if I can get out of a baling hay for a week, I'm going, you know. My dad let me off. All right, you go to camp. Went to camp, and uh, I didn't realize I was an enemy. I thought, you know, I was maybe a, kind of a friend of God. I wasn't. I was his enemy. I was weak, I was ungodly, I, I, I couldn't stop my sin, all this stuff. Let me tell you what, I needed God to be my friend. And I, I don't know about you, I, 
the night I got saved, it was just the Holy Spirit came into my heart, and he, taught, he just told me, he's like, Ken, I'm no longer mad at you. I know you can't do it. You're weak. I know you can't stop the pornography. I know you can't stop the swearing. I know you can't stop your sin. And on and on, God just spoke so sweetly to my heart. And he's like, you know what? There's not a lot of people that like you. I'll tell you, I ne you know, a lot of you say, yeah, you look like Mr. Bean. You know, I, I always wished I could look like Brad Pitt, you know, or something like that. Kids come up and say, you, you remind us of a movie star. Oh, who's that? You know, Mr. Bean. I'm like, great. Never had girls after me when I was young. Never had a girlfriend. Nobody, you know, girls, in fact, they come up and say, why are you so ugly? You know, I'm like, I'm like I don't know. And they told me in Sunday school, God made me this way, you know. And <laughs> Thanks, God, you know. And I was never a great athlete, so I never had any coaches that pursued me, you know, like, hey, you want to be on my team? You know, it was always like sit on the sideline while the other guys play. I was never brilliant, so the teachers never made a big deal. You know how teachers love certain kids that were so smart and they don't cause them any trouble? That was not me. And my parents, my dad was always calling me stupid on the farm. You know, can't you back the tractor up better than that? And, you know, I'm going to chase the cows towards you, you know, stop them and make them go into the barnyard. And they'd all run past me. And, you know, Why are you stupid? Can't you stop the cows? And I, now i got to round them up. You know, always... Didn't think my dad loved me. Didn't think girls loved me. Knew the coaches didn't like me. Teachers didn't like me. But September 3rd, 1966, God, the God of the universe, reached down and invaded this wicked sinner's heart. And he said, Ken Rudolph, my enemy, I love you. I want you. I'm going to save you, not because you have anything to offer me, but because my son died and I chose you, I'm coming into your life by grace. Amen. More than that, we rejoice in our God through Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the reconciliation. Woohoo! God loves me. I'm his friend. I love that verse, uh, verse 10. It says, For if when we were enemies, if when we were enemies and we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, how much more, now that I'm reconciled, shall I be saved by his life? That's a promise that God is not, never going to give up on us. Once he invades your life and brings you salvation, he continues, continues, continues. Because you're his friend, he will continue to invade and invade and invade to bring us closer to him. Oh, the love of God. Man, I hope it's not just, well, we have a church with good doctrine. You know, we, we have a good doctrinal statement, so people should want to come here. I hope it's not just, you know, that, uh, yeah, I, I know the Bible backwards and forwards, and I hope it's because you know God. I hope you have this relationship. You really know God. You know, every once in a while I'll hear kids Talk about college kids. Talk about, yeah, we went out cow tipping. Did you ever hear about that? Now, I, I spent 20 years on the farm. And I was like, I've never done that. And I tried to think through it. 
You know, they're like, yeah, we go out in the fields, you know, we go out in the country and find these cows standing in the fields at night, and we run up to them and tip them over. And I'm like, I've never been able to do that. Whenever I go out in the field, the cows see you, pew, they're running away. In fact, if they would stand still, number one, they don't sleep standing up like horses. So I'm like, you know, secondly, if you ever came running and hit a thousand-pound cow... They're probably not going to tip over either, unless they got their legs crossed, you know, and, and the sleeping, you know, oh, you never noticed you coming. I've never been able to sneak up on a cow at night. And, that, and so all these people talk about, you know, cow tipping. I'm like, I don't think so. In fact, I did an experiment just the other day. I was home on Memorial Day, and my uncle, who was a farmer all his life, and my dad, who was a farmer, that my dad's 90, and my uncle's 88, and and I said, I said, God, I said, can I ask you something? I'm doing a, 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 I'm a, a testing here. I'm like, could you think you could tip a cow over at night out in the field? And they're like, what are you talking about? <laughs> These guys have been farmers their whole life. And I'm like, well, I'm, I'm, I'm doing an experiment about cow tipping. They're like, well, that, and they gave me a hundred reasons why it couldn't happen is I've never heard of it. You know what? Sometimes you have people all over Traverse City, and they think they know who God is. And they talk to you about him. If God is, you know, I don't think, you know. But listen, I spent 20 years on a farm. I'm like, I don't think that's how cows act, and I think you're, you don't know cows. Because I spent 20 years with them. Listen, I've been saved 51 years. Can I tell you what? I know God, and he's never let me down. And I can rejoice in him. Amen? Maybe some of you are, you got these grumpy attitudes about, well, if God does that, why did he do this? We have campers. Every, every week they come to Lake Ann. Well, if God is so good, then why, blah, blah, blah. And they got all these questions. Well, I'm like, okay, that's why you're here at camp. And that's why God, I think, puts me up in front of them because I'm like, I'll tell you what, the God I know is loving and gracious and kind and he's my friend he's not my and so i rejoice in that amen hey do you want to be a happy church or a heroic church then learn to rejoice in the glory the glorious gospel secondly learn to rejoice in those grinding sufferings and number three learn to rejoice every day in our gracious God. I'll tell you what, you have a, if you have a spirit of rejoicing amongst your church, you will draw people to the gospel. You will draw them to Jesus Christ. You will be a heroic church, way beyond a happy church. So may God bless you as, you, uh, as God installs your new pastor and uh, you do great, glorious things together for the, for the sake of Jesus Christ. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. I thank you how you've taken this, this portion of your scripture in my life and taught me to rejoice over and over again. Turn me into a happy, hopefully heroic person for the gospel. And uh, thank you for changing my life. I pray that this church would be those of a, a heroic spirit that would draw others to the gospel. Father, please use them, I pray, in a great way. 
as their pastor leads them and as they follow in your steps. We pray in Christ's name.